Welcome to Horror Makes Us Happy, the podcast where we ask the question, what is it about horror that makes us happy? Your hosts are Steve Becker and myself, Chris Whitman, and you can find out more about us at our website, horrormakesushappy.com. Today, we are honored to have the presence of uh, Mr. Simon Bamford. He is best known for his works in Hellraiser as the Butterball Cenobite, or uh, also Nightbreed as Onaka, I think. Did I get the pronunciation on that correct? That's correct. Yes. Well done. Yes, yes. We met a very untimely end. I may or may not have watched the Cabal Cut last night in preparation for this. <laughs> <laughs> Research. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Uh, as well as, uh, what, what was the other one, Steve? Into Fright the Night? Story, Tales? The Story of Fright Night. The Story of Fright Night. Yes. Yes, there's, um, a full, there's a longer... Yeah, the full title is, um, uh, You're So Cool, Bruce. You're So Cool, Brewster! I can't do it now. But yeah, <laughs> The Story of Fright Night. And uh, I played uh, Peter Vincent. Well, Roddy McDowell playing Peter Vincent in that. Interesting. interesting. Yeah. I've not seen that one. I'll check it out. Lots of research um, needed for that one, too. They actually had um, uh, Roddy McDowell's life cast. Um, so they managed to create me a prosthetic face of Roddy McDowell, which huh. is very, very cool. Wearing a dead man's face. <laughs> well... <laughs> <laughs> not too many people can say they've done that. No, no, not 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 for real. Not actually. In, I was going to say in, in any uh, sense of the word. In, yeah, in, yeah. In, in a fantasy or in a, in a film, yes, but not actually in, in real life. It was cool, very liberating uh, to uh, to look in a mirror and see somebody else looking back at you. Yeah, right. Yeah, I bet. All right, well, thank you for joining us, Simon. Uh, before we get started, is there uh, anything you're currently working on or any projects you'd like to uh, promote before we get started? So everything, everything's kind of gone rather quiet. Um, I, I have been working on a six-part series, um, which is uh, four parts of which are showing on Amazon Prime called Dark Ditties. Um, oh, yeah. And we have filmed, f- uh, four of them have been released on, on Amazon. Now, the fifth one should be released soon. They've had a little bit of problems on one of the sound on that. Um, hmm. And they need to get the actors in the studio, and obviously they can't at the moment. So hopefully that'll come out soon. That's really good. Um, and I'm, they're writing the, the kind of series finale as we speak. I'm hoping they'll get it to me soon, because I'd really like to start. It's a great time to learn lines when you've got no, no other distractions. Yep. Um, yes. So... Yeah, that's mainly what I've been working on. I'm, I'm going to also, uh, I'm working quite hard at the moment at contacting people at Spyglass Media Group, you know, Spyglass Films and HBO, mm-hmm. because uh, it's recently been announced about the Hellraiser TV series. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of that. I have, yes. It's going to be on HBO. And um, I, I heard rumors of a TV series and an additional movie, or was it just the TV series? No, that's right. So Spyglass doing the movie with um, David Bruckner, who uh, he's directing, and he did VHS, The Lighthouse and the Ritual. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, that one's being written by uh, David S. Goyer, who did Dark City, Batman Begins. So a uh, uh, good... Uh, vintage there, a good uh, yes. crew, and the HBO TV series is um, has got Mark Bierheiden and Michael Doherty writing. Doherty, uh, so they did Time Cop, Masks, Swamp Thing, Trick or Treat, Krampus. Can you tell I'm reading this? Superman Returns, <laughs> Godzilla vs. Kong, 
I should make my reading voice far more interesting. And that uh, has got David Gordon Green um, directing some of the episodes and also directing the pilot, I believe. And uh, he produced the recent Halloween. Um, yes, that's right. He did Halloween and Halloween Kills, right? Yes, I haven't. I haven't seen them. Have, have you seen the latest one? I've seen the latest one, not Halloween Kills, because that's not out yet. But um, right. I, I thought it was good. You know, it's always very polarizing with uh, re uh, reemerging classics like that. But uh-huh. um, I, I thought the uh, the new Halloween was good. The ending was a little quickly wrapped up. I won't go into spoiler territory since you haven't seen it. But uh-huh. um, overall, I, I, I was impressed with it. I think I think it's going to be interesting. This TV series sounds like um, they're going to have a bit more respect for the Cenobites and their kind of mythology and their past, mm-hmm. um, which is something that I think should have been explored more in the films. I think that the Cenobites got a little bit cheapened by um, by part three. Mm. Yeah, so, yeah, they did. Part three, um, they they had a little bit of creative license with the Cenobites. Yeah, suddenly anybody could become a Cenobite, mm. um, and that yeah. was such a shame because before that they were these kind of mysterious creatures, and they'd come up from the the seven circles of hell and mm-hmm. they had this mythology. You wanted to know more about them. Yep. Um, so, yeah. and I, it sounds like that's kind of where they're going to go with the TV series. So um, good. Glad sounds like that. a good direction. I, I assume Clive's got uh, his hand in on those a little bit as well. Mm. Yes, I would hope so. I've, uh, I've told him that he's got to get me a part in them. <laughs> <laughs> At least a cameo. Yeah, exactly. Down, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, not, not to go down any kind of rabbit hole of uh, discussing the history of the Hellraiser films, but from what I've heard from you just now about the uh, the uh, the film and not the series, it does sound like they're back on track, and, and this one's going to be a good one. Yeah, um, the Weinsteins have no longer got the rights, strangely enough, um, and I think Dimension Films had rather run it into the ground anyway. Um, I, did, I did read somewhere uh, that... Um, Doug Bradley had decided that he didn't want anything more to do with them. That I don't think that's the truth. Um, as far as I know, and I'll meet him quite regularly, he didn't do the last two because he didn't like the scripts. They were a bit, he felt they were a bit rushed. Um, mm-hmm. So that was the reason he decided he didn't want to. But I'm, I think he's quite keen to, uh, to, to do another one if it's done properly. And, and Spyglass sounds like they can have a decent budget and certainly a yeah. decent writing and directing. And so... Hopefully we'll get Doug back. I know Clive said that he thinks Doug should be involved. And uh, most of the fans would like that, I think, too. Mm. Yeah, I'd say that's probably a, a viewpoint that's shared by most of the fan base. Yeah. So, yes, uh, so that's kind of what I'm right, <laughs> working on at the moment. All right. All right, yeah, a bit of a long tangent there, but, you know, a lot of things to catch up on. Yeah. Continuing on with the thing here, uh, before we get started, a little information for you and the listeners. Here are your trigger warnings. We're going to be discussing uh, things about horror movies, which could involve anything from murder, rape, suicide, child abuse. There will be F-bombs, S-bombs, and C-bombs, all the bombs. So if you're not prepared for that, please take care of yourself and come back. Otherwise, listen to us say all the colorful words like fuck, shit, cunt, and piss. Will, will there be Jaeger bombs? Um, I don't have any. You know, I think I do have Jaeger, but I'm fresh out of Red Bull. Mm. Also, I'm not really a fan of Jaeger bombs, so no. It was just the first thing that came to mind. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, right. Continue. All kinds of bombs. 
So um, in this interview, we'll be asking uh, three sets of questions going from childhood to teenage years to adulthood to find out what it is about horror that you like. The idea is that we uh, interview enough people we might find some interesting common themes, but also might find some unexpected ones, which could also be interesting. Uh, we'll be coming at the questions from multiple angles because this sometimes uh, triggers memories you, you hadn't thought of. Like, uh, like I was saying earlier, if you... Uh, didn't think of something in childhood when you get to the adolescent phase you'll be like oh yeah th there was actually this crazy dream that i had about flies or whatever <laughs> so <laughs> makes for an interesting process ah the fly <laughs> thank you very much yeah <laughs> well i was mainly talking about how it, i i think i saw on the news uh, lately that a, a lot of people have been having weird nightmares of swarms and things for oh, understandable man. reasons lately hmm. Anyway, all that being said, uh, this is not meant to be a therapy session at all. It's just a fun conversation slash podcast. So if there are any questions you don't feel like answering, just say pass and we'll move on. Okay, I am lay lying naked on the couch. That was the instruction. <laughs> well, yes, of course. That's one of the prerequisites. In fact, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, not a pretty, <laughs> it's not a pretty sight. It's good because there's no uh, video on this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's already a not safe for work uh, conversation to begin with, but that <laughs> <laughs> would definitely take it added to another level. <laughs> Good thing this is an audio podcast. Mm -hmm. Although yeah, that would exactly. add an interesting element if you're uh, if you have a roommate or, or uh, wife or housemate that came <laughs> in. You know? in on the, what the hell are you you're, watching? You're naked. <laughs> <laughs> Fun that takes tonight. me to my other lockdown thing that I'm doing, lockdown eating. Oh, so, yeah. yes. I wasn't sure where that was going for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> Just remember, never cook bacon naked. Oh. It is not the safest thing. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> yeah, it takes ages to get that bacon fat out of the pubes. <laughs> God, does it ever. <laughs> I don't know if I should comment on the smell or the taste. <laughs> it's enhanced. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, bacon can be salty. <laughs> that was your mind, not mine. Oh, <laughs> uh, Lord. <laughs> it's okay. quickly becoming one of my favorite sessions. <laughs> So we go. We move from that into childhood. Okay, <laughs> yes. From pubes to childhood. Perfect. Perfect segue. Great. So, other than bacon pubes, um, yeah. what what are some of your earliest memories in childhood of things horror related, uh, either horrific that either scared you or or anything that uh, intrigued or uh, enlightened you or, or things that you were inspired by? Movies, stories, whatever. Um, the, the, my kind of uh, strongest memory, I grew up in a little village in England, so it was kind of a small community. And I, I do remember that the, uh, the local newsagents had uh, like a top shelf. Do you have that over there? Mm -hmm. With all the kind of the girly magazines were on the top shelf. And all the other kids in the, uh, in the village would be trying to kind of get a look at Penthouse or the girly magazines. And I'm, I'd be trying to get hold of Fangoria because that. <laughs> I don't know how I'd seen it, and it was a mixture, actually, of not, not just of loving the horror, but loving the, um, oh, we used to get Mad Magazine as well. Remember Mad Magazine? Mm -hmm. So over here, um, everything American 
in the 70s, 60s, 70s were, were, was very exciting and, and exotic and different. And uh, kind of Fangoria and that, the kind of adverts in the back of there and in Mad Magazine, um, the one that comes to mind was X-Ray Specs. Mm-hmm. They had ah, these yes. ridiculous products that <laughs> didn't work. But I was desperate to get <laughs> a copy of X-Ray Specs. Um, which probably says a lot about me, actually. Mm. <laughs> to remove the clothing, wasn't it? I think I did get one of them. Well, they were terrible. I did get up there in the end. But you, you'd send off, um, you'd have to go and change the money into dollars and then um, or get a postal order and send it off. And it would take months for whatever you ordered to come back from yep. America. Uh, so I remember that from, from frightening me. But I was just fascinated by the gore, I think. I think kids and teenagers and adolescents are very fascinated by that sense of mortality and what's inside. Clive, Clive said of the books of blood, another, one of the films I did, his catchphrase from that, um, everyone is like a book of blood, wherever we're opened, we're read. Nah. Uh, <laughs> play on so words. Clever. He's so clever. Mm. <laughs> nice, uh, would that be a homophone? Yep. Yes, yeah. yes. That sounds right. I paid attention in English class. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what scared me? The dark? Oh, actually, um, it's, it is interesting what scares you, isn't it? And what, how that stays with you through life. Um, claustrophobia. So I had an older brother, and he used to, like, put the, the uh, quilt over me and hold all the edges down until I kind of panicked. Mm-hmm. Or, or he'd kind of, we'd go out playing and he'd find some kind of dark hole and he'd shove me in it and keep <laughs> the usual thing that big brothers do. Yeah. And oh, that yeah. kind Fun of sibling rivalry. <laughs> so that whole kind of um, claustrophobia has, has definitely stayed with me. And, and films like um, The Descent, have you seen The Descent? Where they, they oh, go, yes. that, there's another film um, where he's stuck in a coffin and he's buried alive. That there are a couple up. of those actually. There's uh, there's yeah. the one with Ryan Reynolds. I think it's just called Buried. That's and, the one. Um, yeah. For me, yeah, being buried alive was was also a um, an an early fear because I saw The Vanishing as a at a very young age. Not the foreign one. I'm not that cool. It was the Jeff Bridges one. But still, just the idea of being buried alive is is um, oh. it's very um overwhelming because there's really not much you can do when you have no. six feet of earth piled on top of you yeah You're done <laughs> yeah oh god and just the black uh, oh just it's a horrible idea horrible idea so yeah i think it probably scares me the most still probably still does to be honest um because you kind of kind of can envisage it so clearly i mean being burnt alive um We've all burnt ourselves at some point. We have to to learn, um, but but actually being burnt all over like that—that that kind of pain—I can't, I can't begin to imagine. Mm, um, yeah. But the whole idea of being buried and gradually not being able to breathe—and I think because of my brother, um, bless him, um, <laughs> having had some experience of that when I was a kid. Yeah. What were the other questions about childhood? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, one of them. Uh, there, there are a couple of other ones. So, how about um, any scary dreams when you were a child? Oh, I used to get chased by wolves. Oh, you too. Chased, yeah. I think that's quite a common one, isn't it? Um, yeah, being chased in general. Being chased, and then being and being in a situation where you were so terrified, but you couldn't actually make a noise to scream. 
that's definitely mm-hmm. a common one that uh, a lot of people go through. Um, yeah. There's that, uh, not in childhood, but there, there's a common actor's dream, which I have a lot when I'm just preparing a, uh, something, is um, being on stage and actually having had no rehearsals and not being able to uh, remember any lines because... So you're on stage and everybody's looking at you and you haven't got a clue what you're doing, basically. Uh-huh. Stage fright. Yeah, there's, um, there's a recent film, I don't know if you've seen it, called Starry Eyes. It's about a woman who's trying to make her way in Hollywood and um, there ends up being some evil cults involved. And, but she just has very strange dreams and one of them is a perfect example of that. She's doing a reading in front of these people who are very uninterested and, and not very not very nice. Uh-huh. But... Um, it just gets worse and worse because she's trying to remember her lines. And as she looks down at the paper, every time she looks back, you see more and more words disappear and and they're just ultimately gone. And she's staring at a blank white page (laughs) and then blood starts dripping onto the page. And for some reason, the the crown of her head is, is bleeding and she just starts screaming and then she wakes up. um, (laughs) I think that's, that's probably a, a perfect example of what you're talking about. there. Yeah, absolutely. It's, It's a common actor's dream of just not being prepared. I think. Yep. For, for the actors, um, it's 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 an air scary being. I suppose we get used to it as actors being on stage and people looking at us. And I know people who aren't actors go, "How how on earth can you do that? How can you?" When I was talking about this to somebody today, and they said, "Oh, how can you do that? How can you just talk?" And I said, yeah. and they actually said, "Do some preparation." It reminded me to do it, so I have done. Hence the reading earlier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I imagine. You get used to it after a time. I thought you were going to tie back to the uh, joke we made a couple minutes earlier about being naked on the couch because, you know, that's <laughs> there's some similarity there of, you know, the, the lack of being prepared and then, you know, being stuck out in the open, uh, you know, essentially naked. Naked. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I never had dreams about being naked. I'm actually a naturist, so um, being naked doesn't really bother me. Mm. N- never, never has. In fact, I had... Uh, early dog company. So uh, Clive Barker um, um, had a company, a fringe theatre company called The Dog Company, which mm-hmm. I joined when I left drama school. Mm-hmm. And it had um, Pinhead was in it and a, a chap called Oliver Parker, who's quite a big film director in his own right now. And uh, we went to Amsterdam and uh, we went to some of the nature's beaches there. So, so yeah, naked celebrates. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, there was yeah, one that no, almost uh, was. Yeah, they're partially naked yeah. in a way. Oh, was there? I was thinking, was, wasn't there the one that the woman didn't she have her breasts out or something like that too? No, oh, I mean I, I, I said partially naked because they all kind of have that S and M look. They have uh, bits of exposed flesh here and there. Yeah, but yeah, true. Any of them were really probably the most risque thing was uh, Pinhead's exposed umbilical cord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, the, 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 uh, also the um, Ken Cranham's um, phallic thing that came and attached to his head when he became where the Doctor is in. Mm. Ah, yes, that one. <laughs> yeah, so, and uh, yeah, there, there are lots of um, uh, phalluses in Clive's, <laughs> in Clive's work. And uh, I don't know, what's, what's the female version of a phallus? Yannick, uh, I think. Is it? That I'm too, then. Yes, so, yeah, sexually. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of that. And, and I mean, it's yeah. unavoidable when you deal with body horror. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and Clive Barker, to be honest. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
So you let's go back to media for a minute. Uh, you mentioned Fangoria and uh, Man Magazine when you were a kid. Was there mm-hmm. anything else, movies or stories or authors that uh, were impactful to you as a child? So horror-wise, horror um, in those days, it was the Hammer horror. Right. So and, and in its day, so it was all the black and white, uh, the Boris Karloffs and the Peter Cushing Price, all of those were kind of the current state in the 60s and 70s, as I, as I remember it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, they were terrifying as, as a child. Um, Doctor Who was terrifying as a child when mm-hmm. I was growing up. The, the Daleks were terrifying, the Cybermen were terrifying. Um, <clears throat> it's difficult. I mean, f- <laughs> films, I was a bit of a wuss. So, uh, early childhood, Mary Poppins was uh, one of the. Uh, <laughs> One of my favourite. I was obsessed with Mary Poppins, and I think it was the idea that you could escape from reality into kind of a, a colour saturated alternative dimension, hmm. where only kind of fun thing happens. Okay. So, um, escape. Escape. Yeah. Something more. And then when I got older, then uh, there was a big thing of um, the uh, um, the. Um, the disaster movies. So in the seventies, there was this whole batch of disaster movies. Right. Uh, Towering Inferno, Side Adventure, um, and I was obsessed with all of those. Um, they were seventies, and they had a thing called Sense Around. Uh, I don't know if, if you've ever heard of that. I don't know how old you guys are. Forties, roughly. Okay. Forties. Yeah, uh, Did you ever sense hear Sense Around? Yeah. So it it was invented by Earthquake. Um, the people mm-hmm. who did Earthquake, and it was basically um, a really deep bass sound that you couldn't really hear, but you could feel. Got it. And they, they created these speakers that they'd have to send to the cinemas that were using Sense Around. It was a gimmick. And to be honest, it didn't really work, but because they'd hyped it so much. Mm. So when the, the Earthquake happened in Earth, the film Earthquake, if you were watching it in a Sense Around cinema, you could kind of feel the vibrations. Mm-hmm. So it was very much a, a gimmick, but I was, as a kind of 17-year-old in the 70s, I was kind of repeating how awesome I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also used in a film called Roller Coaster, um, the Roller Coaster Rides. Okay. Uh, it's like so, the 70s yeah. version of the Shocker. Yeah. Or the uh, the Tingler, was it? That's what it was, Tingler. The tingler. Yeah. I think that's before all of our times, yeah. but uh, that's what this reminds me of, is uh, there, there was that movie in, I think, the 50s, maybe, um, where, yeah, they simpler times yeah. i believe they actually had a uh, mechanism that would electrocute you give you a slight shock in, no in your chair yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they well, yeah it was uh, they should bring it, that it back a, they should right or <laughs> use it for other purposes you know someone who has their cell phone or or is talking in the movie just give them a little zap oh no that would be so popular <laughs> <laughs> oh you could have it controlled by the other movie patrons too no wait no no that's a terrible yeah. idea yeah <laughs> uh going back to the um some of the media that you had mentioned so fangoria and mad magazine you you enjoyed that because it was cool and from the united states um what about hammer horror and doctor who um you mentioned that those things uh were kind of creepy to you uh, were you enjoying those at the time or was it just uh 
I think I think all kids like to get a kind of thrill, don't they? It's that it's that thrill of riding a roller coaster or doing something you shouldn't, or even being on a swing or on a high slide, mm-hmm. knowing that you're safe, but you're going to get the adrenaline rushing. And uh, we, we all need it. It's the kind of fight or flight training that kids go through. And I think watching a horror film can can do that. And I, 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 it doesn't happen to me very often anymore. But that wonderful thing of watching a horror film and being so scared that you don't want to switch the lights. You have to go and switch all the lights on in the house and, and you're, you're really annoyed that you've watched it on your own in an empty <laughs> house and there's nobody there. But I never get that scared anymore. Um, mm-hmm. I live in the middle of the country with miles from anywhere or anybody, so I should probably be far more scared. Mm. But I'm not, you know, I don't think. Yeah, like the joke says, if you ever think, if you're ever feeling down and feeling alone, just watch a horror movie and then, well, when it's done, you'll feel like there's somebody in the house. You'll feel better by comparison. Yeah. No, you'll feel like there's somebody in the house with you. <laughs> okay, that one took me a second, but I get it now. Uh, <laughs> I used to, did you? I used to have to like check under beds and uh, actually, that's, yeah, that's something I used to do as a kid. I always used to have to check under the bed. Uh, mm hmm. Well, yeah, with the fear of the dark and the fear of claustrophobia, it's kind of yeah. that uh, the, the fear of the unknown or the unseen. Just just that little whisper in the back of your mind that, you know, your rational mind knows there's nothing under the bed. But there's yeah. that little part of you that says, what if there is? Mm-hmm. I have yeah. to check. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and especially as a kid. I don't know why that is as a kid. I used to have to check behind the curtains because I used to think, I suppose that there might have been a draft in the house. Mm-hmm. And uh, the curtains moved slightly, and I'd be frightened that there'd be somebody behind them. And I used to have to check in the wardrobes to check there was nobody in there. And uh, quite often, too frightened to actually open the door, but knowing that if I didn't check, that I wouldn't be able to sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, common, 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 I think. I grew up in the northern part of the United States, and we had central heat and air. And when the heat would kick on, the difference in air temperature uh, or air pressure in the different rooms would cause the doors to uh, slightly move in or out based on the air pressure. Uh-huh. And as a kid, I mean, you don't know how to explain that. You don't, you, you don't even connect that with the fact that the air came on. Um, uh-huh. You're just laying in bed. What, and you weren't a physics major at age eight. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, you're laying in bed and you know that everybody is, at, you know, in their beds asleep. So why is your door moving? You know, it's it must, <laughs> it must be a monster. <laughs> the bogeyman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Um, so did you have any group of friends who enjoyed, uh, you know, horror with you? Or was it just like... Um, it didn't play any particular special role in your life at that point. It was just one of the things that, you know, one of, one of many. I think having an older brother, um, so they're obviously going to be ahead of you in the game. Uh, so he would have been watching it first and then I would have wanted to watch it. And, uh, and so he would have, his friends would have found it funny watching me watching it getting absolutely of course. terrified. Um, yeah. And they could then be cooler because they weren't so terrible. Uh, <laughs> I never thought about that aspect of yeah. it. You know, I, I've got an older sibling as well, and uh, there, there's always that aspect of them teasing you. But I, I never thought of it being empowering too. Like yeah. they're, you know, if they have any kind of fear, well, at least I'm not as afraid of him. It's yeah. him. <laughs> right. Yeah, and it's the only time that they really want to be with you is that they can be. <laughs> laughing at you or teasing yeah. you or causing you pain because otherwise you're just rather embarrassing as a, right. as a younger sibling. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I can relate. <laughs> How much older was your brother? 
four four years. Okay. Yep. Same here. Older uh, sister, three and a half years. Yeah, there's an interesting dynamic to that when you're a child because you get to, you almost get like a jump start uh, ahead of all your other friends on certain things taboo or or things that are uh, not safe for kids because you you always have that older sibling that's like, hey, you want to check out this thing that you're not supposed mm-hmm. to see. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I don't know how that will be, how that will work these days because everything is so accessible. It must be very, yeah. very different. Everything's up. on the internet. Yeah, everything's there. It's probably still just as scary, and I know, I know, uh, there's a lot of protections to try and protect kids and, and keep their innocence, which is so important. Yeah. Oh yes. But it was a kind of seeping into 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 growing up was that little seeping of little snippets of horror and snippets of sex and yeah. stuff. Um, when I was growing up, but I, I, I now it's I don't know I don't know I don't know how it works for them. It must be very yeah, different. It's a different generation entirely. So really. when you mentioned your older brother and his friends maybe teasing you, was it um, was it a lighthearted thing or was it like almost traumatic or you know? Yeah, no, no, it was lighthearted. It wasn't okay. traumatic. No, it was uh, it was fun. No, it was exciting, right. and it was uh, being having an older sibling meant you could have access to stuff right. like that, which um, I could never. You know, the parents would go out and he'd be babysitting. So, uh, so then he'd get his friends around and uh, very much like the American horror films, mm. the babysitter and the <laughs> and the stalker and. Uh, <laughs> I mean, quite. I seem to remember quite often he'd be just as frightened as I was. <laughs> there you go. It's a bonding experience. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so he enjoyed. Uh, did he enjoy horror specifically, or was it um, again just one of the things of, of many? I think yeah, one of the kind of growing up things okay. uh, back in the back in the day. Horror horror was very popular then, um, but it was it was also it was the. Uh, it was the stuff that you couldn't get hold of, so it was uh, the stuff you were told you couldn't do, right. so everybody wanted mm-hmm. to do it. Back to the taboo, yep. Exactly that, exactly that. One of my favorite, well, my, my, my favorite horror film is the um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original mm-hmm. one, and yes. it was banned everywhere in the UK. Um, really? And, yeah, it was no cinemas would show it. But because of that, and all, all the tabloids and all the newspapers were kind of full of how awful it was and how terrible and how distressing and shouldn't be shown. Right. Um, I, so, but, but certain cinema clubs, um, if you remember, you could go to those and you could watch hmm. um, films which didn't have a, a rating. And that's where, I, I'm not as a kid, but that's where I got to see it. And it terrified the life out of me. I thought it was a wonderful film. Um, it was so ahead of its time. Uh, the fact that I mean there wasn't reality TV of any kind then, and then the fact it was there was a the beginning. It said this is a true story, and then the way it was filmed felt like it was a documentary, and mm-hmm. you kept thinking, yeah, the, is, is the it actual... real? Yeah, it felt like it was filmed on Super Eight or whatever it was, and uh, and the, the the camera was moving around again. You know, unsteady cam is popular these days, but everything was so super smooth back in those days. Um, mm-hmm. I just, it was, and then the tension in it just builds and builds and builds until it's almost unbearable. And the brutality in it. I was lucky enough to meet uh, Gunnar Hansen, who played uh, Leatherface, who's the most charming uh, Icelandic <laughs> gentleman. Sadly, he's no longer with us, but he was absolutely charming and, and the complete opposite of, of Leatherface, mm. as, as so many uh, 
kind of horror actors are. They're not at all mm-hmm. like the people they play. Um, yeah. <laughs> the Cenobites are kind of a real pussycat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. I, uh, I met... Um, um, God, I'm on the spot now, and I've forgotten Nick, his name. Nick, Nick Vincent. Nick Vincent, thank you. Yeah. Yes, met him at the last convention, and uh, just the nicest person. Yeah. <laughs> as, as are any of the other horror actors that I've met. They're all just regular people that are are very, are very nice, you know? It's almost like they uh, just do that for fun. Yeah. And money. And, and it is fun. Oh, my God. I never... And, and money, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Hellraiser. Yep. So Hellraiser made sorry, I'll keep bringing it back to that. Cause that's mm. How old were you when you saw Texas Chainsaw? So, okay, so I was at drama school, so I was must have been... I must have been 18, because that was... Uh, they wouldn't have let me in before okay. then. So, but I was right, at drama yeah. school seventeen to twenty-one. So yeah, I think probably eighteen, nineteen. Okay, up with that. So still, still fairly impressionable. Yeah. Uh, I saw another film there called uh, La Maîtresse, a French film. Uh, you've probably never heard of it. Um, it was about um, a uh, sadomasochist uh, uh, maîtresse in France. Um, so I can't think of uh, the right. The right phrase. Uh, so, a lady you go to, a dominatrix. There we go. Okay. And it was it was a fiction, but they actually used real clients of this dominatrix in France. So, some of the things that, that were happening in this were film real. were actually real. <laughs> yeah. And uh, one thing that once seen, never forgotten, was seeing um, a man's foreskin nails to a piece of wood. <laughs> Oh, my yes. God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, every yeah, night in the cinema was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and just... You, pardon? I was just going to say, have you ever heard of a band called Jenna Tortures? N- no. Uh, they're, they're a local band <laughs> here from uh, the Tampa Bay area. Uh, and uh-huh. the name is, as it sounds, Genital Torture. Right. Uh, Live yeah. on stage, even. Live on stage. <laughs> and, you know, Hellraiser was actually kind of responsible for that. Um, all of that stuff being discovered. When Hellraiser yeah. came out, the only piercings anybody had was a pierced mm-hmm. ear. Really, that was it. People had pierced ears. And then Hellraiser kind of, Clive looked at tribal piercings um that mm-hmm. pictures of that which is where he got a lot of his influences mm-hmm. from of course nowadays it's so commonplace you know huge grip of holes and ears and pierced nipples oh, yeah. and pierced everything um but it never really happened and then that kind of was i think responsible for that explosion of piercing pleasure through mm-hmm. pain definitely contributed to it if it wasn't directly responsible it definitely contributed to it yes yeah, it certainly opened up sadomasochism yeah. to a lot of people Yes. <laughs> in a good way, you know? It's uh, yeah. got exposure. <laughs> yeah, Clive, Clive often asked me, because Clive did a lot of research, I think, for that. Well, he, he admits... <laughs> That's a loaded comment. He went... <laughs> no, it is. He admits it. He, he, he went to a lot of... research. <laughs> he went to a lot of clubs um, of a certain genre and, yeah. and did research. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> Quote, unquote, so, research. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I can't help it. Um, Research can be fun, uh, but uh, he, I, he, and he often talks. I think he, he kind of gets off on a lot of that stuff too. 
Uh, and I've always been <laughs> such a pussycat when it comes to all that. I'm so vanilla and anything. Pain is pain as far as I'm right. concerned. I can't imagine getting any pleasure from it whatsoever. I, I have such sensitive nipples that um, anybody even touching them makes me, oh, I can't, I have inverted nipples. I don't know if that's mm. why, but, oh, I can't, I can't bear anything like that. So piercing them, I couldn't be even mm. worse. When we did Nightbreed, I had to have prosthetic nipples applied mm-hmm. every on every day shoot because I had the scene where they pulled the, the metal that was pinned in mm. my nipple out. So every yeah. shoot, I had to have prosthetic nipples. Mm. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Which was fun. So I take it then the tattoos were not real either then? No, no, they were they were applied. They took ages to do. They were oil pastels, and then they have this special stuff that they paint on top called plastic skin, which seals mm. them to your body. So... Uh, and then there was one day, um, so on one arm there were certain tattoos, on the other arm there were the opposite tattoos. And there was one day where they mixed them up. So they had, <laughs> had the wrong tattoos on the wrong arms. Um, oh, God, did you, you have were... to reshoot afterwards? No. I don't think they were that bothered, to be honest. I think you'd have to be yeah, a Yeah, real... that's, that's a small detail. You'd have to be a real geek to go through and, and see which shots that appeared in. But evidently it, it does appear. It's like in Hellraiser there was... Um, the original Hellraiser, there was a, a scene with the, the engineer, so the, the kind of scorpion creature comes crawling down mm-hmm. the, the passageway. And I think they might have got rid of it now, but in the original um, uh, theatrical reels of it, there were <laughs> where they filmed that sequence at lunchtime, and they thought everybody had gone mm-hmm. for lunch. And so um, a couple of the special effects crew, uh, the, the uh, prosthetic crew, um, heard this noise down the corridor so they went to have a look and, <laughs> and they were in the back of the shop right at the back of the corridor this couple, couple of faces <laughs> looking around going oh shit <laughs> <laughs> nice. and they, they were there uh, evidently but I think they've been edited out in kind of recent certainly in the 4k versions that are available mm. now mm-hmm. so yeah it's, uh, it's I'm going to that up yeah I don't think you'll see it okay did you uh, participate? Did, well, did I don't even know if anybody in the UK participated in Halloween when uh, when you were a kid? It's bigger bigger now. It's still not as big as in mm. the states. Um, I, we didn't do trick or treating. Mm. Um, I mean, Halloween happened, but it wasn't really celebrated much. Um, like I say, we didn't go getting sweets and candy and stuff. Mm. Um, people just watch a horror film, I suppose. Uh, we, we spoke to a couple of people from uh, Sweden, and uh, the tradition there was it wasn't really a, a celebrated holiday per se, but it was more like our uh, celebration in the States of either St. Patty's Day or Cinco de Mayo, where it's basically an excuse for adults to drink and put decorations up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, don't even think, I don't think it was even – we were told it was All Hallows – it was more of like a, a pagan right. – we were told it was a pagan religious festival, All Hallows' Eve – and it was more of a kind of religious festival. So it was kind of seen as that, but kind of dark right. side of it. Well, it was a combination of things, because then the next day was All Saints Day. Mm-hmm. All right, right. Okay. It's, I mean, it's getting more commercial now, but I don't think it'll ever get quite as big as it was in the States, which is a shame, because it breaks up. And by not having it here, we get the tedious... I mean, Christmas starts in uh, late September. Well... I mean, um, it's two things because in the U.S. we've got Halloween, but we also have Thanksgiving, which is towards the end of November. So there you go. You see, you're just very wise on that. <laughs> Whereas we don't have Thanksgiving, we don't have Halloween from 
late September, early October, every, the shops are full of Can Christmas. You imagine, and Chris? all we get is uh, like here in the U- here uh, in the U.S., like we complain. It's a it's a a big thing that people love love to complain that uh, the stores will start playing Christmas music before Thanksgiving. And it's like, yeah. at least give us, you know, until after Thanksgiving before you start that crap. <laughs> it pretty much starts right after Halloween, like uh, the beginning of. Um, but no, still, no, he's saying but, September. Uh, yeah. September. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, no. I know. It's shocking. It's, it, it's shocking. And then as soon as Christmas is, is finished, all the Easter stuff comes out and the Easter eggs and. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we need to, we need to celebrate Halloween more, and I'm sure we will because you know any anywhere there's commercial game, um, it will start getting bugged more and more. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But you you have some cool stuff over there. We don't a lot of the stuff they sell in supermarkets for Halloween here is really tacky and cheap. <laughs> to be fair, so is a lot of and... stuff here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I say even your tacky cheap cheap stuff over there is better quality than it is Possibly. over here. Um, <laughs> I can't even say made in Taiwan or made in China anymore because the stuff coming out there is quite mm. good. Um, again, yeah. you see, that shows my age that they're made in Taiwan and made in China in the 70s was a kind of sign of, of stuff. Not yeah, yeah, that was kind well. of, yeah. Um, so apologies to any listeners from those countries. <laughs> Things have changed now. Yes, and I, yes, yes, fine. I'd love to go there. I'd love to go there. <clears throat> but I love travel. Traveling, I think, is fantastic way of, uh, of learning and growing, and um, I can't get enough of it. I, did, I was very lucky to uh, work with a company called mm. Richmond Productions, and they did dinner theatre all over the world. Um, so we get to, uh, we were sponsored by British Airways, and we so we'd fly business class all over the world, stay in these really beautiful hotels, and uh, and then do dinner theatre in the evenings, and then fly off to the next. The next venue that was on all there are worse places well. to make a living that sounds wonderful yeah definitely and uh, the, uh, that lovely story i must tell you about that so um it would be dinner theater basically for expats and people that obviously could understand english so um we were doing a production of a show called um, the complete works of william shakespeare abridged i don't know if you've heard of it i was gonna say the name's almost like an oxymoron the complete abridged yeah, yeah right complete it's, and abridged it's um, it's these three guys who think they know everything about Shakespeare decide they're going to put on a play um, with every Shakespeare play alluded to or in it. And actually, as you go through, you realize that they don't really know much about Shakespeare. They're just kind of making it up as they go along. So that's the premise <laughs> of it. But it's very kind of madcap, the stuff that they do. For example, in, um, mm-hmm. in Act 2, they decide they're going to do the whole of Hamlet and... Um, but obviously they haven't got, they realize they haven't got anybody to play Ophelia. So my character has been learning my, to play uh, a woman. So he's playing Ophelia, but they realize they haven't got enough characters to do Hamlet. So they <laughs> drag <laughs> one of the women out of the audience to play Hamlet. And my character's really pissed off about this because he's been studying Ophelia. Um, so he's really rude to this podcast. This poor woman that's come out of the audience calling her a bimbo and all sorts of things. And um, so we were playing this in, and, and so they do Hamlet in 20 minutes and then they thought, oh, we could do it faster. So they do it in five minutes. <laughs> then they do the whole of Hamlet in um, 30 seconds. And then piece <laughs> de resistance, they do Hamlet backwards, which was the most 
difficult thing I've ever done in my life. You have to not only act backwards, but you have to do Shakespearean language backwards. <laughs> you speak backwards yeah. in Shakespearean dialogue. Oh my God. Yeah, my, I, I, I it think was... I just burst a blood vessel in one of my eyes <laughs> thinking of that. It was wow. the hardest thing. I mean, you could only learn it by learning it parrot fashion. Um, it was hilarious. It was just it's a wonderful play. Um, but anyway, we're doing this in Egypt. And my character starts as a stooge in the audience. Um, so, but I didn't want to have dinner because I'd be too nervous. So uh, the director went and sat on the top table in this big ballroom. And he said, oh, there's some very important people at mm. this table, including the um, prince of Egypt is actually there. So anyway, he got up just before it started and I went and sat, sat at the table ready, ready to start. And uh, this gentleman leant over and said, oh, hello, you weren't here earlier. Are you, are you uh, one of the actors? And I said, I said uh, well, I, I, I can't really tell you that because if I did, I'd have to cut your tongue out. And <laughs> everybody at this table went... <gasps> Big take a breath, and um, <clears throat> uh, so we did the first act. And the director came rushing back at the interval. He said, "You threatened." Oh, uh, he said, and then he said, um, "Oh, he said, uh, he said, um, oh, cutting the tongue out is a oh, killing me, killing me is a a, a little bit much. Um, perhaps we could just cut the tongue out instead." And I went, "Oh, yeah, that'd be fine." Anyway, I I threatened to kill the prince of Egypt to his face now, if that wasn't bad enough the woman we picked out we just we talked in the interval about who we should pick out as the as the filia. it turns out the person we picked out was his cousin <laughs> <laughs> so i managed to completely insult two members of the uh, egyptian royal family and live to talk but about thankfully it. i did manage yes yeah. live, yes they didn't cut my hands off um and i managed to leave the country as well <laughs> It is a very good thing they all appear to have had a uh, good sense of humor because wow, coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that could have that could have gone very badly uh, wrong. <laughs> you could have made the news. Yes, <laughs> yeah. lines, but not the good kind. Interestingly, that that was sponsored by the Mubarak's family. Um, I don't, do you remember the Mubarak's? They, so they were. Uh, the name sounds familiar. So President Mubarak was um, the um, tyrant who ran Egypt um, with his wife, yes. and yep. uh, I think he was killed in the end i'll certainly run out of the country okay. so let's jump back to uh childhood for a second um did you ever have anything that actually happened in real life that terrified you as a kid like any near-death events or uh, or just i don't know spooky things that that, that scared you <sighs> You have to remember, I'm quite old. That's why I keep mentioning sixties and seventies. <laughs> <laughs> a long time ago. Oh. Well, let's put it this way: if, if you don't remember it, it probably wasn't that important. Yeah. yeah. So perhaps, yeah. I don't. Anything in real life. Ah, uh, I'd say there was. So there was something that disturbed me. Um, so when I was at school, uh, we we had school trips, and people had gone skiing trips. I don't. Yeah, you you do, do similar things. So uh, I think one of the years, uh, I think the year above me went on a skiing trip and there was a terrible accident and two of them didn't come back. And I remember that. So that oh, wasn't, wow. didn't scare me, but I remember disturbing me and the whole 
kind of concept of death, kind of thinking about it probably for the first time because of that. Yeah, one of those in retrospect things where it uh, it didn't necessarily happen to you, but hearing about it afterwards and hearing how close you were—that's yeah, it just kind of makes jarring, you to say the least. Uh, I was probably very young, so it's probably the first time I've really kind of thought about something like that as well. Mm-hmm. So to sort of encapsulate and summarize for the childhood portion of this, then um, I don't know if it would be accurate to say that horror really was anything you particularly enjoyed. Uh, in your childhood uh, for the fact that it was horror. Like you did mention the Fangori magazines, but um, it didn't sound like there was anything particular about horror that really was attractive to you at that age. Um, is just, that accurate? Just, or the, do you think just was... the image. I think the images in the magazines fascinated me. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, when we say childhood, I don't know, American childhood is different to UK childhood. So I'm, I'm kind of t- talking kind of up to puberty I suppose right. so quite young yeah, like up to uh, 13 14 <laughs> yeah right so um so i couldn't really get hold of much before then uh much else then so i was interested in the images and the, the, the what fascinated uh, you about them just the blood and the guts and the <laughs> i don't know just seeing images that you'd never seen before um monsters as you'd never seen them and i, I think I suppose the fact that they were in colour, because anything you'd seen on TV, of course, was all black and white. So, um, and it all seemed so much more real. The the, the blood was so much redder. <laughs> and uh, just things that you're protected from, I suppose, as a child. Um, the unknown, the uh, the stuff, the stuff that you're not supposed to see is always the stuff that is much more interesting. So moving into the adolescence then, uh, post-puberty, um, you had mentioned Texas Chainsaw, but that didn't come until later. You were already 18 by then. Yeah. What was in, be- what was in between? <sighs> Not much horror. I, I, I've always looked a lot younger than my days. So um, I, was, <laughs> I was carded. I mean, that happens a lot. But I was carded when I was 40 in uh, Florida for drinks. Huh? And, uh, the Did you say four zero? Four zero. Forty. Yeah. Wow. Nice. And That's uh, a good thing. The, the upsetting <laughs> thing was that uh, I've gone with another family, and uh, the the wife, who was younger than me, they thought she was my mum. <laughs> she, <laughs> she really wasn't. She really wasn't amused. <laughs> yeah, I imagine um, that's. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I've always looked younger than my age, and so um, when I was. 18. I remember the first time I came to the States, actually, uh, I was in drama school and um, you can drink over here at 18. Um, but when I, I came to Ohio, Dayton, Ohio, we did some shows over there. And uh, of course, you couldn't drink there till you're 21. And I've been, I was 21 like three days after I got back. Um, but of course. I couldn't, couldn't drink anywhere. And I remember, uh, and, and uh, I looked 15. So there's no way I was going to get in anywhere. I remember trying to put my false moustache, anything, trying to make myself older. So I didn't, adolescence, I, I struggled to actually get in to see anything scary. I know I was desperate to see The Exorcist because that was another one that was banned in a lot of places over here and had a lot of hype. Right. And being a bit disappointed when I finally saw it. Um, uh, it felt, and I saw it recently, actually, and I felt 
very, very slow. It is a slow Interesting burn. scenes at the beginning, uh, which I'd completely forgotten in the uh, in uh, Africa or Asia or with the dig. I'd completely forgotten about all of those. Oh, wow. I forgot um, about that, too. And it, it was interesting for me because I thought, oh, actually, this is where Clive's got the opening sequences from Carrows of Four, for mm-hmm. the puzzle boxes and the discoveries that are happening. And right. I suppose that's okay. also that whole kind of mummy beginning as well of the kind of the discoveries of something new, something different. I never really thought of the similarities, but you're right. They, they do have that kind of archaeological or uh, another foreign country aspect to them. And if you watch the opening of um, Exorcist and the opening of Hellraiser, uh, they're, they're quite interesting how close they are in the, the way they're filmed and the, the, the characters that happen, as, as I remember it. Um, definitely influenced by um, the Exorcist, which I'm sure Clive will you know, admit to. Nice. All right. Um, and not every question is going to apply to you personally. That's fine. You know, we just have the list because you never know what's going to apply to whom. Um, yeah. So, Exorcist was something that you were interested in seeing. Um, you mentioned Texas Chainsaw, and uh, but again, that's not until adult, right? Um, well, the, well, the, well uh, it's kind of on one. The I did get one, one. I did get to see, uh, which is a terrible film. As um, I, I ended up working in a cinema, so I must be sixteen, seventeen. Mm-hmm. So, um, a, a film called The Manitou, which oh, the Manitou, yeah, actor in it now. Um, it was absolutely terrible. But because I was working as an usher, I got to see it uh, an awful lot. <laughs> so I kind of got to study how a kind of horror film was kind of structured just by watching watching that. Mm. Now. Mm-hmm. What was that one about? It was, it was about Tony Curtis and Susan Strasberg were in it. It was, oh gosh, it was about uh, this kind of doll thing. Uh, I think it was like an Indian doll. I might be very wrong. Like a golem, it. kind of? Yeah. Oh, no, it's a, it's a tumor. She has a tumor that grows in her neck. That's right. And uh, oh. out of this tumor, a uh, kind of fetus creature um, is born. Hmm. And um, it starts talking in tongues. And it sounds quite good, actually. Yeah, see if we can look this up. And it's possessed by a 400-year-old Indian spirit. It was pretty rubbish, as I remember, but the premise of it sounds, <laughs> sounds all right, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, the premise sounds good, but I, I can understand how execution can uh, can throw that all out the window. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't, and the seventies wasn't a great time for horror. Mm. Um, again, people are probably shooting down, special effects in general. Well, I yeah. guess it depends on the special effects, because I mean, like Star Wars was pretty good, but yeah, stuff that involved yeah. body and reproducing, you know human bodies and, and gore and that kind of thing. It was a challenge. I think yeah. also the, the more alternative, um, smaller budget stuff, I think in those days was better than the Manitou, which was kind of a, a big budget stuff. I think the studios were was wanted to do horror because they knew that there was money to be made there, but didn't want to offend their core audience. So it was all the horror stuff was pretty poorly done. Water down. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it's almost monetized in a way. Yeah. But you were interested in, in seeing this stuff. So it seems like there was some interest that had been, if not sparked in your childhood, but maybe growing in your adolescence. Uh, was there 
it, does that sound accurate to you? Was there an interest in horror in your adolescence, or was yeah, I think it was continue continuation, to be honest, of, of, of the unknown and the unobtainable. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You're told you can't have it, you want it. So yeah, um, by default, is interesting because you're not allowed to have it. Yeah, and, and science fiction is the other thing that I'm, I'm a great fan of. Um, so again, I think it probably goes back to Mary Poppins. It's escapism. Mm. It's something that's different, and uh, knowing that it's not real um, a fantasy. It's a fantasy. They're all fantasies, being dark fantasies or or um, technological fantasies. They're uh, escape from reality. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's just so bloody dull here in life, you know. <laughs> you know exactly. <laughs> like uh, I was going to say, I, I always find it interesting that escapism seems to be a, a core value in the interest in the macabre and the horror because it's almost like a, a a natural automatic resistance to life like you know what what you're given is never good enough because what you're given is the normal and the status quo and you by default subconsciously are like no i don't want this i want better well i demand better i think it's uh i think it's more accurate to say that it's a phase that everybody goes through um how can i say that it doesn't matter what you're given there's a point in your life where you want something different. Um, yes. There's, exactly. you know, in childhood development, there are sort of two general phases. The first phase is where you're identifying with your parents and, and your family and you mm-hmm. identify yourself as being a part of this unit. And then there comes a time where you then decide, no, I want to split off from this and I want to identify myself now as being different from the previous, uh, you know, family unit that I was a part of. And so yeah. mm-hmm. there's this, and it goes through the entire your person's entire life that there's the battle between those two things of, I want to be part of something, but I also want to be unique. Um, mm-hmm. And horror can be part of that. You know, it can be what sets somebody else uh, apart from the group that they previously had been in where you might have a group of 10 people and one person decides, Hey, I'm going to like rock music. And one person says, I'm going to like horror movies. And another person says, I want to do this. You know, it's just a way of like your defining characteristic. Yeah. It's just a way to, to define, define yourself as something different. You've described my childhood absolutely perfectly. Steve, (laughs) Um, And I definitely want to be different. Uh, I was a punk. Uh, mm-hmm. So you're bringing lots of this back. Um, I was terrible rebeller as a kid. I was I was one of those awful 17 year olds who was just foul to my parents. Um, <laughs> had that strong need to break away. Um, I was oh, I was terrible. I was so embarrassed about it afterwards. But um, <clears throat> and yes, I was punk. Um, it's very interesting being a punk in the 80s uh, because you felt so unique. And, of course, we've been growing up with kind of hippies, and I always wanted to be a hippie. Um, but then, you know, you were told you are not that generation. And in the 70s, it was the Partridge family. Well, who really wanted to be kind of part of that? Nobody, really. Mm-hmm. And then punk came along, and suddenly there was something for my generation mm-hmm. that was different. And the whole idea we were sold was um, that everybody was individual, Everybody was completely different. And, you know, we felt so great about ourselves. Mm. And then uh, Malcolm McLaren, who kind of invented punk, did a film called The Great Rock and Roll Swindle. And it was genius because what he did in that film was he said, 
okay, you shithead bastards, you, you all think you've been so fucking um, uh, unique. Um, and here you are, you're all punks. Yeah, you're all punks. But all you've done is you've followed, you've bought exactly what we told you to buy. You've all gone ahead and, and you've just been a pack. All you've done is followed what we've told you to do. You've all had your ear pierced. You've all got safety pins. You've all got this, you've got that. And basically he was absolutely right. And he said, you've just been sold another version of commercialism. It was a huge lesson. And you'd see these groups of punks going in to watch the film and they'd come out of it. Those that were smart enough to realize what he was saying, you know, that, that, and that he kind of actually, he started punk and that film ended it mm. because That's... so clever, clever, clever man and clever and honest of him to say, to say there is no such thing. Commercialism will control you all yes. of your lives. Yes. It's funny. Um, there's um, a band from the nineties. I don't know if you've ever heard of them called tool. No, definitely big in the U S I know they they've played around the world too. Uh, but one of their albums there, I think it might be their th- third full length album. There's a song. Uh, amusingly called hooker with a penis. Uh, yeah. And the song, the lyrics are basically about being in some like hamburger joint in California and about how the singer runs into a fan of the band who claims that he was, you know, been a fan ever since day one and how he thinks that the band's been selling out. And, and then the singers, the chorus is basically, uh, I sold out long before you met me. Um, let me see if I remember the, the words now. Um, you're the man, I'm the man, he's the man as well, so you can point that fucking finger up your ass. Um, <laughs> but basically saying, you know, this is all commercial, and, you know, the fact that you're buying even our third album. Uh, oh, and he mentions in his description in the first verse, he talks about the, the t- teenager wearing, uh, you know, dope 501s or, you know, 501 jeans, which are Levi's Van Shoes, which is a name brand beastie boy t-shirt you know you're you're already in the commercial shit like who are you to talk to me about selling out like yeah yeah. Yeah, it is it's so true and it's so true and and um in the 60s that the the hippies were doing something unique because it had never been done before Mm -hmm. as with rock and roll i suppose but then by the 70s the 70s was all about commercialism the monkeys there are all these groups there was the Partridge family. Everything was very much being controlled by producers in uh, in London and in LA. Right. Um, so the, the idea of punk was exciting for, for my generation because it did felt it felt something that we were creating for ourselves. But um, it just uh, it made us realize how easily manipulated we can be as as a. As animals. Yeah, that that is one way to look at it. Another another way is to context contextualize it, where you know what we were just talking about a minute ago about how you know early childhood development and you know the need to associate with something and then break away from it. You know when you come to understand it, step back and look at it as an overall thing. You understand the as an adult. Okay, it was something I needed to do. Um, and you don't necessarily need to regret the experience. Um, there's definitely lessons to be learned, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's a, it's interesting looking back actually. Uh, 
how alive I felt in those days. Mm. Um, there's there's a lovely play uh, and film called Equus. I don't know if you know about it. That sounds familiar. Um, about, I've heard of it. It's about a psychiatrist, and he gets a client who is a boy who has blinded, I can't remember, 12 horses. And um, it's about the relationship between these two. And the psychiatrist ends up uh, admiring or the boy because he had something in his life that made him feel alive and the psychiatrist so it's about both of them it's it's it doesn't have that anymore he doesn't have that that energy that uh that living right on the edge and, and everything you do feeling exciting i think i think as you get older you you have done so much that there's 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 less to discover um i find just going for a walk somewhere that i've never been for a walk before is exciting because you don't know what's going to be there, but there's less and less walks to go on. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's almost a dichotomy there where, yeah, like you said, there's less to discover, but at the same time, uh, you take more appreciation in the simple things like going for walks. Yes, yes. Um, and, and, and you've got a kind of wealth of stuff as well, of course, you have behind you of, of experience, which is lovely, and I wouldn't give that up for the world. But um, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm nearly I'm, I'm, uh, 59 next, next month. Wow. And you start to kind of, I don't know, you start to, to notice the four of us, the four Cenobites, we all talk about getting old and <laughs> we, we always uh, start with our ailment talk, you know, mm. like old people do. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> we have to get that out of the way. <laughs> and all those things you thought you, you think you'll never get to be, suddenly you're, you're getting there. It comes around very quickly, yeah. very quickly. Yeah, Chris and I and some of our other friends are, you know, in our – in our own our forties and we're starting to have some of those kinds. And I just think to myself of God, you know, this, this is where it goes, you know, it's yeah. the forties. The I, st- I started noticing the the, uh, when I stood yeah. up, you know, those <laughs> start. Yes. yes. <laughs> it is impossible to sit down or stand up or, or set up when oh. uh, over the age of 30 without a grunt of some yeah. kind. Exactly. Exactly. Forties is pretty good. It's a pretty good decade. Actually forties. You don't really age in your forties. So physically, uh, you think you do, but you don't. <laughs> so you, uh, so I don't think you really notice your face aging that much, unless you're very unlucky. Um, um, but you have, you kind of know who you are, uh, and you're kind of comfortable with who you are. Um, yeah. Which f- for me, I wasn't really that comfortable as a child with who I was or aware of. Uh, but I did. I felt comfortable in my skin by my forties. And the, actually, yeah. the fifties too have, have been pretty good. Although you do age in your fifties, so beware the fifties. The lines do start to mount up. And <laughs> was there ever a time when you were actually terrified of something as a teen? Uh, I was bullied, so I wasn't terrified, but I was bullied. So yeah, there was a few times when walking home from school was unpleasant. Mm. Uh, uh, as a teen, I can't. I can't. If it was, I'd probably uh, buried okay. it. Any scary dreams? Scary dreams as a teen. Through your teen years, you had already uh, started to get into theater. Um, and I'm mm-hmm. going to take a wild guess here and say I'm suspecting that may have had, again, something to do with escape. Yes, um, I. Uh, so one of my drama, one of my headmasters when I was uh, very young, so uh, seven, eight, he was very keen on writing uh, 
these plays that he put mm. on, and then we'd all be in them. And actually, that leads to another thing. But anyway, uh, so uh, he the the first experience of being on a stage and people applauding you that was the thing that got me hooked into wanting to be an actor. I think was that whole thing that we, you could stand there and people would just clap you. I thought was awesome. Mm. <laughs> I don't know what that says about about you. I also believe all actors are um, egotists. Mm. Um, how much they control that is very much <laughs> what kind of person they are. I've always hated that part of my personality, so I do try and mm. bury it. But I'm very aware that it's there. You can't really be an actor without it. And I suppose that is the first time you, you get uh, to, to, to meet that ego and, and you get that ego kind of rubbed and stimulated is, is when you're standing on stage and somebody's applauding mm. you. So that was the first time I had that kind of particular drug. Now, one of the terror things that happened, I remember, so and it's, uh, he was doing, we had a dress rehearsal and it had gone really badly and we were going to open the day the next day. <laughs> he hadn't finished painting the set and he, we were all on stage and he was in the audience and he gave us this big dressing gown at how, how terrible we've been and, uh, how we need to up our game and we are all oh, okay and then right now all off you go and and i'll see you tomorrow and i i leapt off the stage and as i did i tripped over this big pot of black paint which went everywhere all over the stage all over the set all over everything and i uh wet myself because he gave me such a heart uh, 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 dressing down in front of everybody else. So that was that was one of my black times. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So, again, in teenage years, then maybe um, might not be accurate necessarily to say that, that horror made you happy or excited. Uh, or were you now, how can I say this? Where do you think you were in life when you would say you became a horror fan? I would say that started with Fangoria, to be honest. I really would. That, 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 um, it's back to childhood. Yeah. That, that, that fascination started with Fangoria. Mm. Um, so maybe you were a fan of it, but just didn't get to explore it until your adult years. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't get to see much of it. Um, and the stuff you could see was the stuff that was on TV late at night. Yeah. So like I said, the old, the old hammer stuff, um, but that 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 hooked me, and, that, uh, and and it, and it did certainly through adolescence. I tried, I tried to see it again. You could see it on TV. <laughs> you could see it on TV if you on late night TV. So I must have seen stuff on there. So I would have seen. Uh, no, actually, Roderick Vidal stuff was eighties, wasn't it? So that been till after that. I can't think of any good seventies horror films, to be honest. So you had mentioned it was a, you had mentioned that uh, at school you get to see Chainsaw and Maitress. Were those really the first yeah. uh, first real introduction to horror? Then, or like like uh, I don't want to say first introduction to horror, but first introduction to like okay, wow, this is the big stuff. Uh, they were first introduction to horror in a cinema, mm-hmm. uh, so in a theater. Uh, up until that point, everything I've watched would have been late night TV. And of course, as you get through get to adolescence, then you can stay up late more and more. You're trusted to stay at home, so me and my brother would definitely sit and watch stuff then. 
uh, and and it's what and we'd go around to friends and they'd watch it and of course we'd have VHS tapes so we'd circulate those but I can't remember what they were I think the 70s as I remember them were the bad days of Hammer where Hammer had well, wasn't very good it gone into colour it was trying it was doing too much comedy so it wasn't taking itself very seriously and it was mm-hmm. a bit kind of it, it um, chimed the death knoll of horror for Hammer, really. And there was nothing really filling the gap, as I remember it, which is why the 80s was so, was so refreshing as far as horror is concerned. It's still kind of looked on now, I think, as, as a really kind of golden age of it. I was lucky to be a, a part of that. And there was some great stuff that came out of the 80s. Uh, you know, so many films that everybody, everybody can, can uh, list. There's so many films that people that I can list from the 80s there's hardly any from the 70s i could probably list at least 20 to 30 off the top of my head but yeah uh, yeah, yeah. you're right i mean golden age is the is there's no better term for it because yeah well crimson age (laughs) there you go there is a better term for it (laughs) so i guess let's move into uh i guess what we would consider adulthood then starting with the texas chainsaw and maitress um, cause you said you were 18 when you started seeing that. So where did you go from there? Um, where did you go from there? well, from there I, I was, I was working with Clive kind of then. So we were doing a lot of kind of, he, he'd written kind of horror theater. So he'd done a piece called, uh, Frankenstein in love, which actually had a skinned man in it. So there were lots of kind of early stuff, and, and we did a skinned man on stage. So this poor actor had to have a complete bodysuit. He's very fond of the skinned look. Yes, he, he a lot of his stuff is kind of he he played with in the plays, and he honed down what was working and what wasn't working. And then you see it coming back in in other other works. And there's there's odd things like um he have removal men. He's had removal men in three of his films, to my knowledge. When you say removal men, so yes. um, so there's a man bringing in a bed. In fact, it's a bed delivery man. So there's a man delivering bed in Hellraiser. Uh, the same two men are there in Hellraiser two, and mm-hmm. I played a delivery man in Book of Blood. So uh, uh, delivering wow. a bed. So so actually, it's more maybe it's more to do. Clive Clive does like play with mm-hmm. his images. They they usually mean something. So mm-hmm. delivering a bed. The arrival of the arrival of adolescence, the arrival of pleasure, the arrival of awareness. No idea. So, uh, Dog Company, Clive Barker, um, Frankenstein in Love. Um, so Frankenstein in Love. Uh, we did some other. Oh, uh, the History of the Devil was another one he wrote. Ooh, uh, awesome. Yeah, we toured all over. So we were doing those. Then I went away and did a load of. I didn't go. I don't, I don't, I'm the kind of as far as horror was concerned, I was more trying to get my career up and running. So I was more concentrating on just acting, and I was quite successful for the first three years. I kind of worked constantly, mm-hmm. so I probably didn't see much because as an actor, you don't get the chance to go see much. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always, I was always t- took it seriously, and I wouldn't. I mean, you know, actors when they're doing theatre, they don't. You know, they sit around all day. <laughs> waiting for that one performance in the evening, but you have to be so kind of focused and at the top of your game for that two yeah. hours in the evening that you're kind of terrified. I was always terrified of, of burning myself out during the day and, and 
it's uh it's 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 a quandary for actors and yeah you uh, you could go to the cinema in the afternoon but i wouldn't want to because you want to be focused on what yeah. what's coming up it's, it's it's a difficult one so yeah uh so i did that and i did so i rang him two years after so i did a whole load of theater none of which i don't think horror. uh and then i rang him to find out about what he'd been doing because uh i hadn't seen him and that's when he offered me Hellraiser, and when it was when we were doing Hellraiser, I then got to the part of uh, Seymour Crowborn in Little Shop of Horrors, which which I got, and I did the first tour of that over the hair, which was fantastic mm. fun. Um, uh, and I then did it again in Rep. So then there was that. Then there was Hellraiser two the following year, and then there was Nightbreed. So, um, going to I can't remember seeing i think maybe i was growing out of the kind of the enjoyment so much i know uh more recently clive so 10 years ago 12 years ago clive gave me the rights to do the screenplay for one of his books of blood okay um which i did with a friend um and it was called the human race was the was the story i can't remember why i started the story now Oh, yeah. Um, and we both realized that we were actually quite out of date with, with horror and the genre. And so we, we had a, a period of sitting down watching horror films just to see where it had got to, what was acceptable. And we were both mm. quite shocked at, at, at uh, I can't think of the films now. What's the Hostel? Um, so that, that whole kind of torture porn stuff. Torture like, porn, yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> this is this is quite brutal. <laughs> Not sure I want to watch this. Uh, <laughs> I so recent well recently I really liked um although most people poo pooed it, uh a Cabin in the Woods. I thought I like the, op- in the, woods. the opening fun? sequence in that I thought was genius. Oh yeah. With, uh, with the office scene with nothing much really happening and quite jolly music and then mm-hmm. <laughs> suddenly smash cut i don't know if it's the same in the cinema yet that cut happens and everybody screamed and then just <laughs> laughed because yeah. nothing really had happened they were just huh. blatantly using a, a jump moment um trick <laughs> and it worked and it works yeah. beautifully and, and i love the way it was homage to so many different other horror films um so I like that. Um, what's the one? The name of the film. Oh, rubbish. The name of the film is uh, an old song. Give Chris some details. He's really good with movies. Uh, so it's a, it's a really known, well-known old song, and it's a horror film. And so he, they're in um, the middle of nowhere. The, the scenario is quite, I think they break down. There's a car. Jeepers Creepers. That's oh, okay, cool. yeah. So I saw that. I quite enjoyed that. And actually, the, going back to that scenario, of course, we missed out Rocky Horror Show. Oh, yeah. That was a good thing that came out of my adolescence. And I went to see the uh, the original production of that in London um, and didn't like it, funnily enough. I didn't, <laughs> didn't really get it. I couldn't understand why people were getting so excited about it. Um, it's more of a cult classic thing. I'm yeah, curious. I, and, uh... I completely get it now. Do, do they do the same thing over there as they do here in the States where it's a completely interactive experience and you have callbacks and, and right. all these catchphrases? Yeah, uh, rice and Kit Kats. And, uh, 
Yeah, they, they they do now. They didn't then. Um, that kind of evolved. So certainly back in the day, they didn't do that then. But they had the ushers um, were dressed up as the the characters, and they were coming around. And they were set in this really old cinema um, that was falling a bit up to bits. So and they didn't dress it up, so they made it look like an old cinema as well. Um, nice. It was. I don't know why I didn't like it at the time. Um, I, yeah, I love it now, and I've seen some fantastic stage perversion versions of it with uh, perversions. I said there's Freudian flip, exactly, uh, with uh, laser shows and stuff. No, mm-hmm. it's fun. That that's kind of a that was certainly part of my uh, horror growing up. Was, uh, okay, Rocky Horror Show. So it's kind of interesting oh, yes. because it seems like through your experience with Clive that like. So you had this interest, maybe I made I don't know if fascination is too strong of a word, but this this very strong interest in the horror. You didn't really get to experience it much in the childhood or or adolescence years, and then in your you know adult years, just right there at the start, you get exposed to Texas Chainsaw and uh, La Matres, and but then you jump basically jump right into performing it by being in Hellraiser. So you're living it instead of uh, being exposed to it as an audience member. You're, you you just jumped in the deep end, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, it, was, it, was, it was like a dream come true to, to, to find yourself. Because when he said that, I mean, Clive had done some very, like, uh, like almost studenty films. So when, when he asked me to be in it, I thought, oh, it's just going to be something small. It's not going to be... <laughs> and I think we we all did. The, the budget was tiny for it, and um, but when we went to uh, Pinewood Studios to have the prosthetics done, you start okay, this is more professional than mm-hmm. perhaps mm-hmm. we were thinking. Um, and then we got on set, and you saw the proper cameras and the proper lighting, and and, and starting to get the else. feeling that oh, this yeah. this is real. To 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 end up, I uh, a couple of times I've been on the front cover of Fangoria, and the first mm-hmm. time I just mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought I'd made it, you know. But I thought if. <laughs> If that little boy trying to get those uh, magazines from the top shelf knew that (laughs) one day he would be on the front cover of this magazine, he would have been so excited. (laughs) And it's those little moments that you think, yeah, this is really good. I'm really pleased about this. And it was really exciting being uh, on a a proper horror set. Although it was also kind of a bit of a be careful what you wish for, because for for Nick and I, it it was also quite a horrendous experience. Strangely enough, going back to um, claustrophobia fear, mm. because the reality Double for us, prosthetics. Uh, yeah, I mean, two two inches thick foam latex with no eye holes, mm-hmm. ear holes, nose holes, so blind, deaf, and dumb uh, because of her teeth. So it was incredibly claustrophobic, and I, I would say it was like um, that moment where you go to the dentist and they start to do the work, and you think just. Bear with it. Bear with it. It will be over. You've just mm-hmm. got to go through it. Because if you say yeah. stop, you're just going to have to go through it all again. And you have to come back, have that injection. So just bear it. Just deal with it. And I was having to do that. Uh, yeah. And in Harris, we were super glued into the masks. So once we were in them, we were in them sometimes 12 hours a day. And it was just, it was just it's sensory deprivation. Yeah, you, you, when it's horrible not being able to see, you know, that whole blindness thing and not really be able to hear that whole, to, to not be able to yeah. hear and not be able to see, mm. it's, it's like being buried alive, um, albeit in a mask. 
Um, and it did get to me. I had I had a few little breakdowns, and when they they asked me to do her as a two, I did had to think seriously about whether mm-hmm. I would want, you want to, to do, do that again. And actually, funnily enough, I thought that just this week when I was writing to these <laughs> guys at HBO, thinking, mm, "Could you could you really cope with that again?" Think of the money. Think of the money. Think of those. All the audience mm. s- sitting there applauding you. So yeah. all all goes back to all those pleasure pleasure things. Uh, and that was one of the things that kept me kept me going. Actually, was. You know, I'm on a film set. I'm doing something that I really wanted to do. Um, and if you suddenly tear this off, yeah. they'll just get somebody else. So that deal, deal with it. I mean, you could always just pull a Robert Englund at the end of the day. Yeah, <laughs> but at least he could see. <laughs> true, true. There is that. So I'm guessing at this point, uh, you know, when you're already jumping in and being an actor involved in these things, uh there probably was no fear at this point. It was probably all excitement other than the fear that you mentioned of being claustrophobic. Yeah. One, one of the, one of the, one of the fears is not fear, but a terror I had was on Nightbreed. They, uh, uh, we, 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 we were in quite early and then we worked all day. And I think we'd been doing like two or three days like that. And I live quite a long way from the Pinewood studios. So I'd have like a two hour drive at the <laughs> beginning of the end of the day. Um, and then like a 12, 14 hour day. And on the very last day of that, I, they said, right, you're broken. We're not needed until next week. So go home, get some rest. So I drove home and uh, my friends were working in theater. So I didn't go home. I went to the theater and caught them at the end of the, the their production. And we had some drinks in the bar and we had a good old evening. And then I got the weekend off. Um, finally rolled into to the house about one o'clock in the morning to see... Um, the blink on the answering machine mm-hmm. and uh, yeah and oh we've we've changed the schedule can you can you be in at, at uh six tomorrow morning so i was like oh no anyway so uh so quickly kind of got everything together went to bed and overslept oh and so that was a tear waking up um and and a night breed for its time was quite a big budget film so and having to make that phone call to say, okay, I'm supposed to be there um, now, but I actually <laughs> just woken up. Uh, uh, that was, oh God, I, I never, I don't do, I don't do late. Uh, actors on the whole don't do late. It's drummed into your drama school that I suppose if, you know, you can't let somebody down, you have to be there on right. time when to walk on stage. You can't let, leave them floundering. So being late is just an absolute no-no. And the drive, that was a terrifying drive <laughs> to get to the stu- studio and then going cap in hand going, I'm so sorry. Yeah. For me, that Understandable, was terrifying. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I can somewhat relate. I mean, it's not as important as a film production, you know, a, a project like that. But uh, I have definitely had that moment where I uh, wake up from uh, late evening. Uh-huh. uh half an hour after I'm supposed to be at work. And um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to drive to work and realize that I think I'm still drunk. Yeah. <laughs> Probably shouldn't be driving right now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, so the, the fear that you mentioned about, uh, or this terror, you know, being late for work, it was, I'm going to say this, it, it's work-related, not uh, related to your appreciation of the content of the films and things like that. It's, uh, 
yeah no wow. it's letting letting people down i've always been um mm-hmm. a great warrior and um one of the big things um i don't know if worrying is genetic but it certainly seems to run in my family you can see it and i can see it in my nieces and nephews mm-hmm. that they worry too much um uh, maybe everybody worries i don't know to, to different right. extents but we worry too much um and the whole thing of letting people down and what will people think of you that it's that kind of worry you know it's uh it's a shame um yeah yeah no um actually the the, the subject matter of any of the, the horror films aren't really horror horror horrific to make um maybe yeah. if you're working with certain directors they are but um uh, i understand i i haven't had uh, all the directors i work with have been really good um and friendly but you laugh more than anything else because you're in this ridiculously hyperdramatic, ridiculous situation and you're looking at another actor and you're just being super serious. And if they start to go, if, if any of you Correct. start to, to, to go, it's mm. so hard to hold it together. Yeah. Oh my God. And I'm a terrible corpse. Terrible corpse. What do you mean? Yeah. Corpsing is when you laugh is when you I've start I've never giggling. heard it said that way before. <laughs> uh, um, I see. Yeah, yeah, I've never heard that before. It's Just interesting. Like, a lot of the um, theatrical terms are death-related. So <laughs> corpsing is what you do on stage. You um, dead. Uh, so when scenery is dropping in, you dead the line. Dead um, face. Or yeah, the dead face. No, dead pan. That's the word. Yeah, dead pan. I can't remember them now, but there's a whole load of theatrical terms that are all to do with death. Um, I don't know why, hmm. but yeah, corpsing is one of them. I don't know why that one's why it's called corpsing. Mm-hmm. I've no idea. Yeah, I know. I mean, I was going to say I understand the maybe the fact that they're to do with death because that's been in theater forever back yeah. in Shakespeare time. But yeah. Uh, yeah, what does corpsing have to do with laughter? M- maybe it's because it is again, it's something so serious. That I think it's just falling about laughing. To be honest, it's the kind of whole falling about not being able to control yourself. Oh, it's so awful when it happens. So horror definitely has made you happy in your adult years. Um, yes. If for no other reason than because you've gotten to participate in it. Um, mm-hmm. But also because it harkens back to your childhood that, as you said, you know, if you had known at the time that you would wind up being on the cover of Fangoria, you know, you'd have been a very happy child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, another example of that was um, I went, I, the, the cinema that I ushered in where I saw the Manitou um, is now a convention center. And I ended up going back as a, a Hellraiser guest mm-hmm. at a convention. Huh. Uh, and again, I thought, oh, you know, if, if the 17, 16, 17 year old knew that he would end up being on, not only being on the screen, but mm-hmm. kind of coming back to the same cinema and, uh, yeah. you know, he would be really chuffed. It's nice. It's nice that those things can happen. And it's yeah. very lucky. It's all luck. But so at this point in, in, in the adult years though, so your enjoyment of it is, has an additional um, context to it in that, you know, there's some career success associated with it and the, you know, the applause and the ego that goes with the work that you do. So it's not just the fascination of, of the horror genre as a fan. It's, um, it's, it's being able to be on both sides. So it's being able to be, still be a fan and still but 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 be in it um and then go and see the finished product which always looks so completely different to how i've imagined the film all of the films have ended up differently to the way they play out in my head when you've read the script Mm. 
usually much much better uh seeing all those special effects added um uh, the, the monsters i mean hellraiser I, I had no idea it was going to be the way it was um mainly because i couldn't see any of it so. <laughs> well there was that too yeah. yeah yeah um uh yeah it's and and hopefully it'll it'll carry on in the future um it's it's opened doors for me as well horror has opened doors because of especially those early films okay so we've got some social aspect because not just the work you're getting but the friends that you've made along the way co-workers and things like that yeah um one of the things that have come out recently um, as well with the Dark Ditties, going back to those, is also they've been professionally very stimulating because um, each of the Dark Ditties is it's an anthology series, so each of the episodes is a different story, although they do all link up and meet up. But um, we, I get to play a different character in each of the films. Because I had worked with this company and they had played... I, I played the Roddy McDowell, Peter Vincent character. He kind of narrates the documentary. So they had given me pages and pages and pages of dialogue to learn um, as a kind of monologue with lots of, it was so hard to learn that, but they knew I could do it. So the next film in the Dark Ditties was this 85 year old woman trapped in a house by the spirit of her dead husband who abused her. Um, and it's kind of done as a monologue to camera. So there are other characters that come in, but the main part of the story is her talking to the camera. Uh, and they asked me to play this 85-year-old woman. So so that was an amazing challenge that you would never be asked to do anywhere else or in any other genre, I don't think. Maybe comedy. Um, so that was really challenging and really interesting to do. So that's something else I'm getting from the horror these days, which I never thought before. Fulfillment, yeah. Um, uh, professional fulfillment. And challenging, still being challenged, which is great. Films tends to film and TV tends to they just want you to be a version of yourself. They don't want you to act anymore, and I've never been very good at doing that. I've mm. always been a character actor, I think. So. Or just a character. <laughs> or just a character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're all characters in some way, shape. Or well, yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah. here's a question, and I'm not just asking about uh, horror, but just in general. And I'm not asking which one is your favorite. Just what movie have you watched more times than any other? Um, um, oh, that was one. Uh, I watched Earthquake a lot because I loved it, but I don't think it was that one. I think it might have been Mary Poppins. I think it might have gone way back to that. Which is kind of shocking, really. Why? It was something... <laughs> it was something of that ilk. Oh, the oh, the recent one was terrible. If you haven't seen it, don't go. <laughs> no, I yeah, have not. I, I haven't seen it. Don't go. Just keep the, the fresh memory. <laughs> the, the innocence of childhood. Yes, it would have been Mary Poppins. Okay. I was quite obsessed with it uh, as a child. So of the things uh, of the horror that you have seen as an adult now as a as a consumer, if you will, um, do you see any common threads about what kinds of horror that you like, uh, like cannibalism or occult or metaphysical or body horror, or is there, is there a common thread? I suppose it's more of the fantasy stuff, more of the, so it would be the, the, 
The stuff that you know can't be real. The moment mm-hmm. that something can be real, ah, well, well, there was one thing that really, oh, there was a film in the 80s about gangs fighting each other. In an the Warriors? In, the Warriors. And okay. it really disturbed me. I mean, profoundly disturbed me, that kind of amount of violence. Hmm. It just felt very real. I'm sure looking back, hmm. uh, I, it's weird sometimes the things that can profoundly make a, a difference in your life, and that was one of them. And I, th- I, 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 I think when it's real, uh, I don't like it as much. I like, I still like the escapism. So mm-hmm. I like the ideas of of high priests from hell coming out of the seven circles, <laughs> or or, uh, or or growths, you know, stuff that you know really can't ever happen. Yeah, like the the otherworldly or, or things that are not so much paranormal but you know, fantastical. Yeah, things that aliens would be aliens would be up amongst my top horror films. I uh, because it's got science fiction and horror, so it's for me that's kind of total win win. Plus, it was Alien was such a brilliant film with an amazing cast. Right. I love Shivani Weaver, John Hurt, obviously, just amazing effects, uh, fantastic creatures. I auditioned actually for Alien. I think three was that three. Really? What? They were monks. Yeah, it was when we were yeah. doing um, Nightbreed. They were auditioning for uh, the monks, and they were filming it in London. Why and um, uh, yeah. I had a shave. Right? They wanted everybody had to have shaved heads, and I had a shaved head because of, uh, of uh, uh-huh. but I looked a bit too innocent. Ah, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that youthful look strikes again. Yeah. <laughs> So, it's yeah. funny you should say that though, because yeah, when uh, when you mentioned the whole um, uh, stress and fear of having to go back on set after you had just had a heavy night of drinking and thought you had wrapped, I don't know why, but the first thing that thought in my head was uh, the, the first thing that popped in my head was that scene in Alien Three with oh God, what is Charles Dance's character's name? Doctor Doctor Clemens, I want to say. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, that's why he was an inmate there. Was he uh, he was a surgeon and thought that he was done and and went out on a bender and then was called back into the ER a little bit more uh extreme than if you uh you know were filming and you have to be called back after you've been drinking but i don't know that was the first thing that popped into my head was someone who thinks they're done so they go out and celebrate and get shit-faced and then yeah nope false alarm yeah <laughs> i'm sure that happens or, or you're an or you're an airline pilot you know uh there, there have been cases where the crew have actually kind of shot the pilot because they yeah. can smell it so much on his breath. And, exactly. know, it's everybody's lives, isn't it? So, so you know, the, the reason for the questions here towards the end are, you know, sometimes uh-huh. this move, this question of, you know, what else do you watch other than, than horror can be an enlightening um, commentary on, on who the person is as a person. Um, but in your case, it, you know, it seems to just underscore the things that we've already talked about, you know, your, your enjoyment of fantasy and the yeah. scope and things like that. Talking all this through, it all kind of links together very, very neatly. <laughs> That's kind of the, but, uh, the point of, of going through the phases as we do. It's either it's to help try to find what the common thread is. And sometimes if you just had the conversation about one part of the, of somebody's life or another, you might not find anything that that jumps out at you, but it sounds fairly, very, fairly simple in your case. I mean, even from an early age, you were enjoying the, the escapism of stage work um, and, and other things too. Um, So really one, one last question, 
which is why horror, because you could find that kind of enjoyment in any other genre for that matter, particularly as an actor, because you are, you know, taking on, taking on roles. Um, do you have any understanding of why it is that you particularly enjoy horror? I, I think it was the path that fate has taken me on. Um, so just certain doors have opened up and those doors have uh, been, have, have led to very successful working with successful people. And it's just the, the way that fate has taken me. So it's not necessarily the, the path that I have chosen. It's just the path that my life has gone along and I, mm-hmm. I, I enjoy them as well. Uh, but I enjoy I've enjoyed a lot of stuff I've done. I've done a lot mm-hmm. of other stuff. It's not horror. Um, yeah. not, not so much of the film stuff, but mm-hmm. a lot of the stage stuff I've done uh, has not been horror. Yeah, it's just, you know, you never know where, where life's going to life's gonna take you. I, I got to a point with theatre where um, I, I was getting lots of work, but it was really shit. <laughs> and some yeah. of it was so bad, I, I was embarrassed to be on stage because I thought, this is really ripping off the audience. The mm. quality of this is so poor. Um, and I got to a stage where I thought, unless the next production I do is of any good, I'm going to give this all up because this is not why I came, uh, not why I wanted to become an actor. Well, I think we, uh, I think we found a pretty good summary of the, you know, for your, in your case, you know, the, the fantasy and the escape mm-hmm. and, and, you know, escaping from, I don't want to say the pigeonhole that you, you were put in, in terms of where you grew up in a small town and, uh, culturally, you know, being able to mm-hmm. break out of that, I can definitely understand how that would be exciting to a person. It's funny now that I think about it, it, it it's similar to, um, you know, some of the other interviews we've done, the phrase rebellion has come up. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a, that's a common thread. I mean, there's rebellion and then there's escapism and the fantastical lore of things. I, I think, guess, I don't know. They're kind of all I think intertwined, it's similar, really. but yeah. slightly different. I don't know exactly how to word it. Yeah. You know, the, I think the rebellion was certainly the catalyst for a lot of, of, of my need to need to change. You know, that, that rebellion that definitely came out of adolescence. Um, mm-hmm. it's it definitely fired up my life and gave me a drive. Yeah. Oh, that reminds me. You mentioned the whole punk phase earlier in adolescence, and I, I have to ask, how tall was your mohawk? It was very tall, and in those days, they didn't. <laughs> you know that gel gel didn't exist. So no, you know, no, you had to use glue and egg whites. I used um, soap, so just bars okay. of soap, and you put it in your hair till your hair is so dry that it just kind of sticks. It was terrible for your hair, uh, and you just yeah. And I, I had pink and yellow. I got terrible trouble at drama school because I had. Uh, we were the first people who had crazy color. So it's like temporary color, but it kind of stayed in for quite a long time. So I had a, a mohawk, which is pink and yellow, and they cast me at drama school as a 90-year-old man. And I couldn't get, <laughs> for the life of me, I couldn't get the pink and yellow out of the hair. So I got really kind of uh, told off from playing this 90-year-old man with a pink rinse. <laughs> in, in, in a Shakespeare piece as well, I think. It was terrible. Uh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Creative license. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, you want to do the closing or want me to do the closing? Yeah, it's, that's about it. So uh, thank you once again, Simon, for your time and, uh, and, and doing this with us. It was a very interesting experience. And um, 
I believe for if there's uh, anything that we could plug or promote for you, it's uh, the uh, Dark Ditties. You can get those yep. on Amazon Prime. Yeah. They sound uh, great. I'm going to watch them as soon as I can. I've got another film coming out next year called The Haunting of Margam Castle. Uh, I don't know what medium that's coming out on, but uh, that was interesting about a group of American parapsychologists um, who go to an old haunted castle, funnily enough. And uh, I only got a small part in that, but yeah, that's that's coming up next year. That'll be released, so that's finished filming. And another film called You Are My Sunshine, which is going to be released next year as well. So, but I don't know what mediums they'll be on. So they're the only Dark Ditties will be my main one because, especially uh, over in the states, you can actually uh, access them. They are sadly only on Amazon Prime in the UK and the USA. Um, so if you are listening, mm-hmm. if, if you're you, listening yeah. to this somewhere else, I'm ever so sorry, but. Uh, they're not there. <laughs> there are ways. You can't see it, but I'm, I'm wringing my hands maliciously. <laughs> <laughs> my curling is mustache. Yeah, I might. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> and we'll, I'm sorry. What, one more time. What was the name of the uh, the film with the castle? Uh, the Haunting of Margam Castle. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. All right. Well, uh, once again, Simon, thank you very much for being with us. And uh, thank you out there for anybody listening. Again, please do come visit us at our uh, website. It's horrormakesushappy.com. We get a schedule there for all the guests that we are planning to interview and uh, list the uh, guests that we've interviewed so far. And uh, if you can help us connect in any way with any of those people, go ahead and feel free to drop us a line. Otherwise, just let us know how we're doing at horrormakesushappy.com. 